Welcome everyone to episode 7, we hope that we counted it right, to <laughs> Mystery, the podcast about myths and history. I'm your host, Brian Taylor Marshall. Joining me is my permanent guest, Cammie. Hey Cammie, how's it going? Great co-host. Um, and also we have uh, a special actual guest here. Very special guest. Uh, Count Dumonet. He won our online contest to Woo! be on the podcast. So. One in a million. Welcome, Fantastic. Count Dumonet. Bonjour, bonjour. Bonjour now. Thank you for coming in. That's uh, Italian. I got that wrong. <laughs> um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. What brings you here? Uh, I am a time-traveling French aristocrat, and I've come to Columbia, South Carolina to play punk rock music with my band, Les Marais Chevaliers. You may listen to our new record, Punk Vivant, on Spotify and other streaming services. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's wonderful. You will link that in Facebook. Yes. We'll make it happen. I'm looking at Cammie, pointing at her to make it happen. Yes, I do all the Facebook stuff. Yeah, so please take a look. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, So you've listened. You know what we got going on here. We've got a little bit of myths. I've never listened to it. Bored out of my mind. Just, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think Voltaire can't, wanted to do punk rock and, but anyway. All right. So what's, uh, what's the myth we're touching on today? If you're France, if you're from France, you must love. We, we love the, the King Arthur stories. Uh, We've actually took the, the filthy Saxon version of these stories and and improved (laughs) them considerably. Um, as, as you will see, as I, uh, recount the tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Excellent. That so fantastic. That's really nice. All right, here we go. Arthurian legend myths. Let's jump right into it. Right on. So uh, this story was originally written uh, in the 14th century. So the writer of the story is, we're not exactly sure who he was, but he was a contemporary of Geoffrey Chaucer. Uh, it draws on various Welsh, Irish, and English folk stories, mm. and it's been improved by the French chivalric tradition. Uh, the, the original story was written in alliterative verse. I'm going to give you a little sample of that. Um, these are from lines 146 to 150 of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Full clean for wonder of his hume and had set in his semblance seen he furred as freck were fad and overall ink a green. I think I should do the rest of my uh, my my story in, in, in Middle English. What do you think? Okay. Oh my god! Sure, yeah. yeah. It's so, so insane how Middle English does not sound like English. Right. It's yeah. You can you yeah. can kind of hear the their Norse elements. There's yeah. Germanic influences. It's really it's 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 a lot of fun to read. It takes some practice to yeah. to get it down. But uh, so I chose this story um, because it has a lot of things that appeal to my heart. It has brave knights and adultery. Mm. and cunning games and beheadings and more adultery. That's like a Sunday night here in South Carolina. It's very French of you all adultery. Yeah. Very French. <laughs> so let's, let's set the stage. Uh, King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table have gathered together on New Year's Day. Um, this is the eighth day of Christmas. So uh, this is uh, where the eight maids of milking would come from. <laughs> So, uh, as they are sitting around celebrating, uh, in rides a giant knight, dressed in green, rides his horse directly into the castle. Uh, He's carrying a huge axe with him. He gets off his horse, and he paces around the hall and says, Ah, I can't fight any of you. You're all too weak. But if you will have me, I will challenge you to a friendly Christmas game. I will trade one blow for one blow. 
one of you will take a take a swipe at me, and in one year and one day hence, I will return that blow. <laughs> I owe That's you. a long time. <laughs> yeah. It is. And this one year and one day, we'll see this again and again in these stories. Um, and none of the none of the knights of the round table step up to this challenge, and it looks like Arthur himself might have to challenge this knight. But suddenly, the youngest of the knights, Sir Gowan, volunteers. Oh, dumbass! <laughs> <laughs> so he he walks up to the green knight. He takes the green knight's great axe. The green knight bends down and bares his neck, and Sir Gowan violently, cleanly cuts his head clean off. Oh wow! And you would think that might be the end of the story. That's the end of the story. So <laughs> wrap it up. Knight. But the Green Knight does not fall. He reaches down, picks up his head, holds it aloft, and reminds Sir Gowan that one year, one year, one year, one day hence, the Green Knight will return the blow. So that's the ninth day of Christmas. Uh, yes, it would be the ninth day of Christmas. Okay. Wow. It would be January second. Okay. See nine. Is it Lord's Leap? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't read that far ahead. Uh, so uh, a, a year passes. Uh, Sir Gowan's getting a little getting a little nervous, um, and after many adventures and trials, he's out roaming around, uh, probably killing pagans for Christ. Yeah. Um, and it's it's almost it's almost time for him to f- seek out the Green Chapel, where he will receive a blow from the Green Knight. Um, but he's been on the road for many days. He's tired. He's exhausted, and he finds a warm castle uh, and is invited in by the Lord Bertalac de Halt Desert, uh, who, who, who invites him, who invites him to stay a few days with he and his super hot wife. <laughs> that's, a, that's an old English term, right? Super hot. Super hot wife. Very, very fine. Very fine wife. Um, and so uh, Sir Gowan agrees to stay. Um, also, he notices that there is a, you know, in, in the feasting hall is an old, old, uh, ugly lady, and we, we need to remember her. She's going to come up later. Okay. okay. Um, so, uh, the, the next morning, uh, everyone has a little, little breakfast, and um, Sir Bertilak is about to go hunting. Um, but he makes a bargain with Gowan. He says, whatever he catches during his hunt that day, he will exchange for whatever Sir Gowan has gained. Sir Gowan accepts. So the Sir Bertilac leaves for the hunt, and uh, Sir Gowan is left alone with Sir Bertilac's hot wife, who uh, very, very quickly tries to seduce <laughs> Sir Gowan. Literally nothing else to do. <laughs> nothing else to at do. the castle. Just like two people alone in a castle. But, but, but the old lady's still there, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Ostensibly watching all this. In the rafters. <laughs> but, you know, Sir Gowan, being a good, chivalrous Christian knight, rebuffs these advances. Um, but, so as not to offend the lady, he gives her one kiss. So that day, Sir Bertilac returns from his hunt, gives Sir Gowan a deer that he is, he is slain, and Sir Gowan exchanges it for a kiss. Sure. Actually, you know, during this period, very common for, for men to be kissing each other. So. Yeah, okay. sure. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll... Even today, we'll, just not in America. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Not, not in America. Uh, yes, so but we'll, we'll, we'll return to this. Uh, the second day, again, Sir Bertilac goes hunting. And again, Lady Bertilac comes into Sir Gowan's chambers and makes, makes some advances. But <laughs> again, Sir Gowan, showing incredible fortitude, uh, rebuffs her advances. 
but gives her two kisses. Oh. <laughs> Sir Bertilak re- returns from his hunt with a with a boar that he has killed, um, and he ex- exchanges it with Gowan for two kisses this time. Now, if I was Sir Bertilak, I might be wondering what's going on while I'm yeah. hunting, but he doesn't seem all that concerned, so he decides to go hunting a third day. <laughs> this time, um, Lady Bertilak advances are very aggressive. She even offers Gowan a golden ring, which for the time period is a very significant gesture. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sir Gowan again refuses, but she's like, okay, if not the ring, then take my green belt. It will protect you. And Sir Gowan, wanting to be a good chivalrous knight and to do his duty by this lady, accepts this gift. So that day, Sir Bertilac returns. This time he gets three kisses from Gowan. Ooh. But Gowan does not disclose the existence of the belt. I see greens becoming really important here. Yes. Yes, lots of green in this. And we can we can, you know there's lots of symbolism we can delve mm-hmm. into later. Uh, so the final day is now the day after New Year's and Sir Gowan must leave his uh, his very gracious hosts and seek out the Green Chapel. Uh, he's wrapped his green belt around him for protection. He finds the Green Chapel and there he finds the Green Knight sharpening his great axe. Like a dutiful knight, Sir Gawain dismounts, bares his neck, and the green knight swings, and Sir Gawain flinches, and the the knight mocks him for this. (laughs) (laughs) Wuss. Wuss. He takes a second swing, and this time the green knight withholds his blow, even though Gawain does not flinch. And Gawain's like, please, just get it over with. He's like, very well. He swings with full force, but does not cut off Gowan's head. He leaves only a small scratch because he's been protected by the green belt. But the game is over. They have exchanged blows. Gowan cut off his head, and the Green Knight returns with a with a scratch. At this time, the Green Knight is revealed to be bum 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 Sir Bertilak. Oh, I saw it coming. <laughs> The old lady we saw back at the castle was actually Morgan Le Fay, Arthur's mischievous sister, who was uh, who, who <laughs> transformed Sir Bertilak as, as a test. <laughs> uh, so uh, Sir Gowan and Bertilak part as friends, uh, and, and Sir Gowan returns to Camelot wearing the green belt as a token of his failure, of his shame, to keep mm. his promise. But the Knights of the Round Table forgive him. They're like, good job, you're <laughs> fantastic adventure. <Right. laughs> and they all resolve to henceforth wear green belts themselves. Uh, to honor Gowan's adventure and to also, <laughs> as a reminder, uh, to be honest in their in their dealings. That's really fun. I can just imagine it's, the next day everyone is wearing green belts around the castle <laughs> and like the servant's like, what the hell? Like, what did we miss? <laughs> That's a great story. Captain Monet, that that was really nice. Thank you. You're that welcome. was really, really cool. Holy crap. I can't believe they, they were like, thanks for not banging my wife, man. Really appreciate that. I'm not going to chop your head off um, right. for doing that. So here, here's an interesting question. So mm. let's say that Sir Gowan succumbed to these advances mm. and he bedded Sir Bertilak's wife. What would he be giving Sir Bertilak when he returned to the castle at the end of the day? Anal. 
Could be. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Oh, like the reciprocity of yes. the wife and the... Yes. He oh, had to re- I see. Exchange what, yeah. he had, what he had gained that day. I see. I totally get it. Okay. So, oh, wow, yeah. And, and, the, and the writer of the story goes out of his way to praise the Green Knight and go off about how handsome he is and how impressed all the knights are by him. So, um, there's... 12th century there's, smut. There's yeah. definitely a lot of... Um, uh, homoerotic uh, undertones yeah. in the story. Very, very interesting. Well, he kisses him like eighty times. So. Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of kissing, um, and and there there are a lot of kind of tropes in the story that we see again and again. There's this there's this exchange of beheading. It's kind of a bizarre concept, yeah. sure. but it's something we see again and again. You gotta um, give another dude's head. I mean, there's another. You yeah, know, exactly. Know. It's, like, it's very cool. very odd. So how did he? Did it ever explain how he picked up his own head and put it back on or whatever? I think he rides out. Of the castle, headless, carrying his head. Which Do you think he's had like a weird costume on? You know, like. <laughs> Still are, you, are you trying to remove the supernatural elements of the story? Yes, I, think I am. I'm trying really to. Get important. The only thing that's supernatural is Gawain not banging Mrs. Green Power Ranger here. So that's the <laughs> incredible, incredible fortitude. Yeah, that's great. Um, and well, there's there's so much we could talk about here. I mean, yeah, the, the color green and what that means, and and. Um, uh, and and uh, Gowan being this this kind of Christian knight, yeah. And and, and the, is the green nature? Is it paganism? Is there is there is there um, conflict there? There's, right. there's a lot a lot going on. Um, you might even write a undergraduate paper um, and submit it to Dr. Guara in the English department um, if he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> if if you want to go down a rabbit hole, guys, yeah. there's there's a incredibly odd movie version of this called mm-hmm. Sword of Valiant starring Sh- Sir Sean Connery as the Green Knight. It's a 70s uh, escapade. Mm. It's, it's so bizarre and wonderful. Um, you might want to skip through a lot of it, but uh, definitely if you... Kish me. Kish me. Now you give my head. Yeah, go <laughs> on now. Where's belt? Cut off my head, will you? Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, check out Sword of Valiant. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and check out my band, Le Mary Chevaliers. Thank you, everybody. Fantastic. They are wonderful. Can't do any of those are excellent. I have seen them several times. I always bring a lesbian friend with me. Yes, bring me your lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Okay>. Well, guys, <laughs> yeah, that, so, uh, that, was, that was one myth. So sure. nobody would go into the history. <laughs> so now, yeah. though, I have to feel important, like I'm doing something <laughs> in this podcast. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, you can't let me steal the show. Mm. Can you? I mean, steal, I mean, it, steal it back. You're going to steal the show. There's oh, no absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. You're the lead singer. Yeah. Everything. You're going to win the next the contest. The next yeah. like three weeks. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We've had other entries. Yeah. Fourth oh, win. <laughs> um. Basically, so yeah, I uh, I knew that he was doing something that was a little bit more unheard of in the Arthur realm, so I decided to go with something everyone knows a little bit about, and maybe a little bit confused about. Um, so I'm telling the story of Excalibur. Mm. Um, my sources, I got uh, from Ancient History Encyclopedia. Um, I also, uh, oh, it was the article, Excalibur, mm. Josh J. Mark. And then also from timelessmiths.com. Was, so, was gotireland.com not helpful this time? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Was... No, I just... Shout out to last week's episode. Right, exactly. Banshee. Ancient um, Greek history.com. What, what were the others? Oh, vampire facts. Yeah. <laughs> 
CelticWeddingRings.com. God, these, you guys are really just digging into the library. Yeah. Diving deep, yeah. Dust, these dusty tomes. <laughs> I didn't even use Wikipedia for this. Um, yeah, I know. But donate to them, because they're doing their little drive right, right now. Um, and NPR. Yes, and NPR. <laughs> That's what got me in the podcast. Okay, so previously Excalibur was called Caliburnus. Um, there are two stories surrounding the sword. Um, so it does have like a sort of dual origin. So Arthur's story, and I'm just going to go a little bit into him. He's the star, He starts out with a questionable parentage, um, which is one of the hallmarks of being a hero. Mm. He was the son of Uther and Ingrain. Uh, through Merlin's trickery, he made uh, basically Merlin made Uther look like Egarn's husband. So you know they they do it or whatever. Yeah, so, and, and that was like an enemy of the of them, right? I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah like, I was reading. I, it was like, like a thing. He literally like tricks them into banging the enemy. Like yeah, I, Merlin is so problematic. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, he made he made him look like. Egrin's husband, so they have sex, she gets pregnant, Arthur is born, and Uther, who, he's the king at the time, he doesn't want anything to do with this kid, though, I guess because of the, you know, fighting and fighting or whatever, he lets Merlin raise the boy. Merlin tells, um, so Uther ends up dying, and... Merlin is kind of in control of everything now because he's sort of the, I guess, the court magician. Is yeah. that right? I don't know. Um, but he tells everyone looking to be crowned that whoever could pull the sword from the stone was the the true king of Britain. Of course, everyone tries. Everyone from any kingdom anywhere tries to pull the sword out. No one can do it. So this lanky teenager, Arthur, um, ends up coming up and, and just quickly pulling the sword out because he's blood-related to the king. Um, but nobody wants to bow down to a child. I mean, just in general, but also here. So the nobility decided to wage war. Um, and here's where kind of the magic of Excalibur, we first see it, happens. So there's a battle. Uh, there's a lot of battles. Um, and Arthur is basically at the hands of defeat after this one especially brutal one. And he was told by Merlin not to draw a sword until he was in the hands of defeat. So he's at he's at rope's end. Like, he's got to do something. He pulls out Excalibur. And the light from Excalibur kind of mesmerizes everyone around. And so he's able to pull back the battle after that. I, I think, like, if, you know, scientifically, probably the sun just shined in their eyes or something, but whatever. Um, so the tide of battles in his favor. He wins. He ends up fighting many more battles because still nobody likes him. Um, he ends up having a bunch of adventures. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Now, Arthur meets a knight called Pelinor, who... He was basically... Pelinor was on a quest, um... And Arthur basically doesn't like this dude, so he challenges him to a fight. Now, during this fight, Pelinor breaks Excalibur, and Arthur almost cool. dies, too, but I, I didn't go into that. Um, <laughs> but this is when we find out that this magical sword Arthur has been wielding since he was a boy was actually not the real Excalibur. What? Uh, I know. Thanks, China. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> 
So Merlin has <laughs> Merlin has to come to the rescue to save Arthur. And they go to retrieve the true swords. So Merlin brings Arthur to the Lady of the Lake. So we've all heard about the Lady of the Lake. Mm. She agrees to give Arthur Excalibur, the true Excalibur, if he promises to do her a favor and bring the sword back when he's on his deathbed, basically. He promises, and this hand appears out of the lake to give Arthur a sword. I'm going to fast forward a little bit more. Arthur lives his life. He does great things. He finds the Holy Grail. And by Monty Python's account, he gets arrested and has to stop filming. (laughs) According to more scholarly sources, Arthur ends up in a battle with his own son slash nephew. We didn't go into that, but it's both. Uh, Mordred, who you spoke about before. Um, The battle was long and hard fought, but Mordred and a... uh, he ends up mortally wounding Arthur. That was a lot of M's in a row. Now Arthur has to fulfill that promise because he is on his deathbed. So he, remember, he promised the Lady of the Lake to get back the sword. So he, because Excalibur can only be wielded by someone who's worthy. So he sends one of his knights back to return the sword to the lake. And the knight throws in Excalibur. And according to some legends, the Lady of the Lake may even, after that point, have healed Arthur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've And seen kind that. of made him whole or whatever. Right, right. So that's kind of the, the dual story. I mean, because we do have the Sword and the Stone, and then we have the Lady of the Lake. And it's, it's always yeah. been confusing to me, like, which is it? But mm. this kind of explains that's cool. how both can exist. Yeah, yeah the, it's, it's sort of... Excalibur's never been exclusively to the stone. Like, we've kind of... That, that's been that. But yeah, that's a really cool way of mixing both. Although, I think Merlin's just a dude who's full of shit if he was telling him to pull it out. <laughs> and blind everyone. Oh, dude, I know, just pull it out when you need it. I promise. We'll blind everyone. Right. Crosses, like, he just like waxes well, it really good. Well, he was good. just playing everybody from the beginning, right, too. Like, yeah. to what end? Mm-hmm. You know, at that. I mean, I don't know. I think there's some movies that kind of explore that. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, shall I get into a little bit of setting up everything? Cool. Please, so, yeah. Yeah, so those those are really nice. And I, I've, you know, I have an English mother and a, she has a Welsh, like a 100% Welsh dad. And so it's really interesting. I, I don't know too much about this. So looking into this was really fun. Um, so yeah, 5th, 6th century is where the Arthurian lore takes place. Um, this is where Rome's essentially, they're out of Britannia. They're, they're sort of done. But there's, the, their legacy is like 100% still there. Um the the locals of England at this time are they're they're Scots they're Britons they're Picts um, the the ethnic indigenous people are 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 are, the, are what we kind of see today is like Welsh Scottish and you know some Irish and things like that um, but then these dudes the Saxons come from Saxony in Germany and they're terrible um, they're they're as like when we think of Vikings, they were sort of like some OG Vikings, some 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 crazy German dudes. So we hear the term Anglo-Saxon, and that's Anglican, um, England, Angloland. That's where that comes from. Um, but that didn't really form until um, the ninth and tenth century. Um, so, but the the Saxons come. They eventually will. They they do settle south after some fighting and stuff, and they eventually do become the Anglo-Saxons. That's when that kind of forms. But. Um, where Arthur kind of comes in, Arthur was important because 
he was really a weird. It's really crazy. So when we're looking, when I'm looking up stuff, it gives you like eight different names. It gives you yeah. the crazy Welsh name that has a hundred syllables. It gives you um, like an old English name, and then it'll give you a Latin name, which is pretty recognizable. And so it's really funny how you can see that, and you especially see it like when I saw Guinevere's name. Um, you know, like it would be spelled with like a V and a Y in some cases. You know, Guinevere, or, you know, like with a W and a. You know, it 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 goes a lot of different ways. But that's kind of. You have these three different kind of groups really melding um, in this area. And, and like I said, the Romans aren't necessarily there, but um, there's even rumors that he was a Roman general. That's There's some really thin rumors that um, Arthur was tied to that. But anyway, so uh, Arthur was, was famed because he killed, like, he said to have killed hundreds and hundreds of Saxons. And Saxons then were, like I said, big, scary Vikings. They were, they were just as big and brutish as you'd think they would be. But... Um, where Arthur becomes important, I, I kind of tie it to um, Cúchulainn, who we talked about sure, um, yeah. last week in the Irish myths. He's this sort of national hero, and it's kind of interesting to think about how he's still a hero for England, even though it's not really Saxon. Anyway, we'll go to that <laughs> later. But so there was a few works that do kind of verify, not necessarily that he exists, but that people talked about him for sure, one hundred percent between the 6th and the 12th century. Um, so Historia Britannia um, is one work that was done. Um, the History of Britain was done by a monk, but uh, there was also the, um, probably I'll screw this up, Annales um, Cambrai, which is kind of like the, I think that stands for um, Welsh years. I think that's what that means, but it, it was a Welsh chronicle mm-hmm. um, done in the like 9th century by a Welsh uh, monk as well. Um, these things just sort of, in general, sort of historicized, just like much of the monks were doing back then. And, and Arthur's mentioned. The most popular one, though, is the um, History Regium Britannia, the, the, the kings of the history of the kings of uh, England from Geoffrey of Monmouth. This book came out in the 12th century, and it it was like a pseudo history. So it was history, but sort of like included, I guess, like the word of mouth stuff. So it, it wasn't really super based, in fact. Um, but it is extremely important because it does, I, I think the, the truth of it really is, is in the battles that occurred. So he'll talk about a battle that happened in like 530 and, and people say, oh, Arthur, he, that's the one where he killed 300 Saxons, like by sneezing. Um, and so that's kind of where that comes. And so, uh, also in the 12th century, we see, um, I think, uh, do count Dumanini. Let me know if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly. Um, <laughs> Chrétien de Troyes. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't yeah. know anything about it. But I loved it. <laughs> that this was a, a French poet that actually started um, sort of Arthurian, not started Arthurian literature, but um, wrote a lot of Arthurian style poems. And uh, this author was actually, or this poet was the one who added Guinevere and Lancelot. Before this, it was like like if we're kind of going with the Hercules motif that I did with Cuchulain, it's like that. Mm-hmm. He was sort of a Saxon. Hercules, in a way. Or, excuse me, a a native Breton Hercules, Mm -hmm. um, in a way. And this is kind of what continued it. But then the French took it, and then it, it... just like everything else, they rooted it. No, they um, they took it farther and they, they really romanticized it. And that's where that culture came in. And from what I've seen, it kind of goes on until the, the age of the Renaissance where we, you know, we're, we're, we're not at enlightenment quite yet, but we're, we're getting there. There's uh, the Renaissance called back to classics and it, it debunks a lot of this stuff. It, this, this fantasy sort of, it, it, it it, it took away, and we really don't see it resurge until the 18th and 19th century with um, uh, Victorian 
uh, ism, you know, and chivalry kind of making a comeback. It, it really resurged then in its kind of classical sense. And it was, it, it was then when I think it really, you know, again, I, I don't, you, if you walk up to an English person and ask, hey, do you consider yourself Anglo-Saxon? They're probably like, I'm English. You know, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it is, it's a hodgepodge of, of Bretons, Welsh. It, it, all these people kind of have ties to uh, Arthur as much as like they have ties to Rome, you know, if you sure. want to identify that way. So, um, when the fifties hit there, we had the movie Camelot and the musical and the musical in the movie. And that was kind of where I think we probably as growing up, that's where we got all of our Arthur stuff. That's mm-hmm. where we really kind of like started understanding where it was. And that's where, um, we, we have our opinions sort of shaped today. And then, you know, Monty Python came out in 75, um, Holy Grail and, and that kind of continued. So it was really interesting. I, I have to, I've talked about it in the older shows, um, previous shows, that uh, I've been reading the, the uh, Bernard Cornwall's um, Saxon series books. It's really great, great books, great show on Netflix, and it's it's set in the ninth century. It's about Saxons attacking, or um, excuse me, um, Danes attacking the Saxons. But there's a really cool paradigm between the Welsh in the north, the Bretons in the uh, sort of the middle of the country, um, and then interacting with Danes and Anglo-Saxons in the south. And it I, it's funny to think of what they would have been saying at the time, how they would have kind of viewed Arthur. Um, but Arthur, again, he, he, he resonated just like kind of Kukulain did. Um, and he was just sort of this iconic hero for them. And, and I think most importantly too, he had ties to Rome. I mean, there's a story where apparently he was on his way to conquer Rome. Um, and I'm just like, what the hell? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he took, yeah, he took over the, the island. He took over Ireland and united, well, I don't know if he united, but he took over everything and then was like, let's go to Rome. And then something happened at home. And he's like, "Never mind." But, um, yeah, it's, it's just really wild. Uh, so again, I'll say that's kind of the history behind what's going on and, and, and how we know who Arthur was. I, most historians say he's not real. Um, there are people that could have been, uh, doing these things and then they just sort of attest it to Arthur. That's sort of what the mm-hmm. likely idea is. Yes. These battles happen. Yes. People lost and won, but I think that's kind of what it goes. So either way, really, really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much from it. I mean, Arthurian literature is its own thing i mean we have norse mythology mm-hmm. but we don't really have like thorian literature right, right you know um and that's what i really enjoy and even speaking of thor you know uh in the marvel movies his hammer you have to be worthy to pick it up mm-hmm. and they play on that that's totally out of the um the arthurian like landscape mm-hmm. so it's really funny how they sort of tied that all together so you see these same tropes again and again i mean not only just yeah. you know across the world you know it's it's uh, it's fascinating and you know this all starts off as like oral tradition and um really all we have left is is what's been written down so mm-hmm. when you see things like these kind of conflicting origins of excalibur that may have been a writer being like hey look there's there this group of people tells the story this way this group of people tells the story yeah, this way they split up here's and... here's how we can kind of integrate them and make it make it make it work I yeah mean, I mean, gosh, I mean, the Bible works that way. So many, sure. so many um, world myths are, 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 are collections of what people mm-hmm. have been saying around the fire. And it takes like a monk or someone, someone who uh, can write and who can, uh, you know, who has the, the, uh, the budget to actually, you know, <laughs> buy paper, you know, right. and, and, yeah. and yeah. that's, that's all we have left. But right. I mean, like, uh, that's, that's just why we see that, like the beheading game in Sir Gowan, you, like, you know, you see that in Kukulain, you see that all over yeah. the place. So, um, it's fascinating yeah. to see what we have left. Yeah, really cool stuff. I'm glad this was a, this was a really good topic to touch on. Um, oh, yeah, let me let me shout out. So I, I pretty much just nabbed everything from Wikipedia sure. for the most part, honestly. So they're like, 
if you look at the like I said, like there's Arthurian literature. There's there's an I mean there's a whole host of Wikipedia dedicated to Arthur. Um, so I, I pretty much just had to get the bullet points in that. I mean, I think I just talked for like half an hour alone talking <laughs> about this stuff because it goes so deep. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's so cool. And it's, it's like I said, it's as, as someone who's got a little like Welsh blood in them, it's, it's weird to think about that. Like national heroism um, going back that far. It's a really cool idea to be able to claim that I'm, you know, basically mm-hmm. Arthur. <laughs> Basically, you could pull the sword from the stone. Yeah, absolutely. It's you, like, like well, at least one eighteenth of me or something. Sure. <laughs> I mean that that's part of the that's part of the myth too. Is that like he may rise again? Like when he's yes, 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 that is a big deal. Yeah, that's you. It, it could be Brian. Yeah, and Brian could like you well, know be digging out in the yard someday and find some hunk of metal and pick it up. And, you boom. should go see the Lady of the Lake or whatever. Why is this in Columbia, South Carolina? <laughs> yeah, let's go wait out in Lake Murray and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. What's go going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what I'm really super impressed with this whole thing? Yeah. You did not mention the Byzantines one time. <laughs> I, you know, I think there's only like one tiny way I could connect. I can't, sure. I can't even connect Make to Arthur. Make the connection, no? So there's the Varangian Guard. This was the, I, I'm going to, I, I should have looked this up better. I'll write it down. I believe it was 8th century. I might be wrong. Um, the Varangian Guard. So in Constantinople, very far away from England, um, the empire is not doing great. It's not doing really well at right. all. And these these Germans are, are are Germanic tribes. These Vikings are screwing with the the Byzantines. And so the emperor he's like um, he's he's trying to kind of buy them off like you, they always would. And this dude's like, hey, um, the emperor's like, hey, uh, I'll give you some money. I'll let you marry. Uh, my sister, I believe, and leave me alone and give me some people. So he's like, okay. So he gives him these these berserkers. So if you you know, trying to think like the Byzantines, they were ethnically Greek. So that's I guess you know this was eighth century. Who knows what was going on? But they were also really mixed. Um, they had a lot of mixed cultures um, going on. So uh, anyway, but these these like hundred percent eight foot tall berserker berserkers are now the personal guard and and they became they were the personal guard ever since then for them and a lot of them were not uh, eventually were supplanted by anglo-saxons and Hmm. saxons that would be like there's nothing here there's no sword in the lake let me go to constantinople (laughs) and bet on everything down there six Hmm. degrees of Right, yeah. of Byzantium. Byzantium. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, there's, there's, that is like, I think the only way I can really do that. I mean, what's, what's cool. So, I mean, like, you know, the, the Byzantine Empire, it was the prominent power after Rome fell. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we totally think about when Rome fell that it was done, but, um, we see what happened. This is what happened, was happening in England. They were fighting Saxons. They were alone. Um, but Byzantine, the Byzantine Empire, um, they were, they were doing just fine and they were, well, not really, but they were they were doing really well. They were they were the seat of power until like twelfth century for the most part. So when people were writing about Arthur, on Sentinel was like, "Hey, what's up?" So it's really cool. But yeah, that's a that's all I got for connecting <laughs> Arthur to <laughs> for Justinian. So I would get through one episode without you. I know, and then I, I had know. to bring it up, and then that, yeah, and it killed another few minutes. One day we'll just I'll start my own Byzant- Byzantium podcast <laughs> extravaganza. What's up, guys? It's just Brian here to talk to you more about Byzantium. There's no permanent guest on this one. Yeah. It's just a host. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, well, yeah. Thank you so much Can't and congratulations uh, on the win. Merci beaucoup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, if, if you guys ever want to be on the show, let us know. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll run some little like things to pull stuff just so when Cammy and I don't want to do any work. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
we, we really appreciate you coming out and helping us out. And uh, for everyone listening, thanks. You know, we're going to keep... His band really things. is the tits, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The tits. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Lay tits. Le, le tits. It's <laughs> the green belt. I don't know. I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> I think I'm going to start wearing a green belt on stage. Right, right? yeah. yeah oh, I think it's pretty... I got to go give him a kiss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, guys, um, you know the normal stuff. Uh, please leave us any reviews you can. Um, you can message us at mythstory at gmail.com, story with an I-E. Also hit us up on Facebook, either our group or Cammy or I personally. Um, let us know what you think. Yeah. Is that it? Is it howl time? I think that's it. You want to howl with me? Howl? Oh, we do a wolf howl. Cammy likes yeah. to howl at the oh, end. Oh, Let's nice. do it. All right. Oh! oh!